This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, let's get busy. Panel part of the program. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636. It's a great day for talk radio, the Tuesday edition, seeing the familiar names and faces. Kevin Gadette, president of Brightpoint Strategy, formerly head of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Good afternoon, Kev. Hello, Johnny. All right. How are you doing? Uh, very good. Rocco Rossi, the CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. How's my man, Rocco? How can I not be great in a room with fabulous people like this? All right. Well, you said as much as I was thinking. Alyssa and a Freeman. a great day for talk radio. It is. He'd already said it. So. PR and pop culture media expert Alyssa Freeman. Hello. Hello. And I'm equally as happy to be with the Tuesday crew. Happy, happy, joy, joy. You know, there are some folks who are not that happy, and they're the ones who are trying to get to Ottawa, Montreal, or back from those cities mm-hmm. to Toronto on via trains that have been disrupted by protesters just east of Belleville, Tyendinaga Territory. And uh, earlier today, the CEO of CN uh, said in a statement that unless the blockades are removed, the company's going to be forced to close significant parts of its Canadian network imminently. We are currently parking trains across our network, he said. But due to limited available space for such, CN will have no choice but to temporarily discontinue service in key corridors unless the blockades come to an end. Uh, earlier today, we were talking to uh, an Indigenous uh, lawyer and political influencer, and uh, I just wondered about the legality of doing this. Here's her brief response. So that's not even Canadian territory. Basically, you're saying this is a sovereign land. Well, that's what the courts have recognized. So if we're going to go back to the rule of law, then we have to respect the court's decision. All right. Uh, That was just one snippet. Effectively, she was saying that this was unceded territory. Uh, We have no dominion or domain over it. Uh, Therefore, buzz off. Uh, Anything to do with negotiating a deal with this gas link pipeline is, uh, well, fraught with complexities, not least of of which is that uh, the people there don't want it. And uh, it's all illegal and so on and so forth. And uh, I don't want to get too deeply into the weeds except to ask, and Alyssa, I'll start with you. I mean, uh, how do you perceive this? Is it civil disobedience or is it just out-and-out law-breaking? And the government is duty-bound by that. It's provincial government jurisdiction here, according to, you know, the uh, Transportation Minister, Mark Garneau. Uh, Government ought to be more proactive in uh, getting the rail lines moving again? I would like to see that. And I'm a mother of a daughter who's at Queen's University and just can't get home. And uh, we went and bought a bus ticket, so now she's getting on a bus at like 6 a.m. So I'm sure that every second-year student at Queen's wants to get up at 5 so they can get on the bus at 6 be that as it may, it's representing like a a real hardship for these kids who are trying to get back and forth and some of them who have been caught in limbo. So I read about some young lady who uh, goes to school in Ottawa, came home to Toronto, fine, and then the blockade, and then she had to dole out over $400 so she could fly herself back. So do I think that we need to do something about this and remove the blockades? Yes, I would like to see that. All right, because there's personal inconvenience here, uh, and I don't want to, you know, make light of it, but it's almost like saying, well, we can't cross the Selma Bridge in Alabama because there are people who are uh, exerting the right to civil disobedience. You know, if that's an analogy, it's been made by some quarters, but Kevin, do you see it in that light, or do you see it as just out and out being uh, illegal, and it ought to be, the protests ought to be broken up? Well, I actually think civil disobedience is law-breaking by definition, um, and in this instance, uh, there, and, and there should be consequences for, for that. So yeah, it sure as hell should be broken up. Um, it's, 
ridiculous to me in this modern time that there's two rules of law. That for whatever happens to be politically correct at the time. And I mean, I saw a a story on Global National uh, TV or Global TV that showed an individual who was walking across a highway and removing the one of the illegal barriers. And he was arrested by the RCMP for doing that. Not the protesters who are illegally blockading a highway, a citizen who's exercising his due right, arguably the same as the blockaders, if not even better, uh, who's arrested for taking down the blockade. All right. So what you're saying is that there's selective justice involved here. And uh, Hell yes. The, okay. Uh, Rocco Rossi, do you see it in that light? I, not simply an issue of selective justice. I think the bigger issue is... Um, does duty to consult, does duty to negotiate in good faith mean that there's an absolute veto uh, for any uh, minority number of the party with whom you're negotiating? And we are talking about a minority. So think of a parallel case. 70% of Canadians vote for a political party or a, um, a, a result, and then 30% uh, we just have to say, well, you know, we just have to accept that they're going to be, you know, uh, civilly disobedient and block things and we'll just put up with it. Uh, of course not. The reality is along the corridor of that, um, uh, of the expansion, both on the oil and the gas case, um, you have significant no- negotiations that have taken place. And now people are saying, well, uh, the the the, the <clears throat> native leaders, the indigenous leaders who accepted that, no, 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 that's not, they're not our legitimate leaders because they were elected and are basically just products of the Indian Act. It's the hereditary chiefs now, but there are other cases throughout history where people were saying, no, 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 we can't do the hereditary chiefs because that's not democratic. We have to deal with, with the others. So... So there's also selective selection of who represents um, the First Nations and how many of them, uh, because we do live in a democracy where, yes, you want to defend minority rights, but in order to actually move things along, we accept the notion that uh, majority leads to an ability to get things done. And if we if we lose that, then we are going to be paralyzed as a society. Well, that's not, exactly yeah. that. That came up in my discussion with the indigenous lawyer and political influencer, uh, that there's no legitimacy to any of this, uh, first of all. And so where does that leave us? I mean, there's no point talking. And she also said consultations aren't good enough. We, you need to get consent consent from and as you said it's effectively a veto if only one indigenous person says i don't want this project to go ahead does that mean total consent is well, exa- lacking? well exactly one yeah. indig- indigenous person from anywhere in the country so we, we've got i mean that's what's especially bizarre in this instance is it's tyandanega mohawk nation uh in belleville protesting a, a pipeline decision as rocco points out with the vast majority of Aboriginal uh, consultations approval in British Columbia. The pipeline, it's a BC issue. Right. And so, uh, as you point out, what small, you know, is it one person anywhere in the country can unilaterally 
what, block off a national railway corridor because they unilaterally believe Well, how then has this gone to uh, six days in now and there's still no resolution? This is why I bring it back. Everybody's afraid to to jump in. Nobody wants to be that person who comes in and says, okay, this is ridiculous. You know, people have some, you know, some people have signed on, some people, you know, have, have not, but... Nobody wants to wade into that fray. Nobody yeah. wants to put stick their neck out in this in this regard. Well, so is therefore, it Caledonia redo yeah. is it basically Caledonia all over again? Well, how I, I, I don't. I mean, yeah. how is it not? Well, yeah. it, with with I mean, a couple of different issues here. In the case of Caledonia, it's about a dispute over that land and those and and that and that uh, First Nation versus, to your point. Uh, Kevin, you're talking about uh, First Nation not at all uh, associated with the land uh, with respect to uh, uh, to the pipeline. Uh, and to your earlier uh, analog of is this like Selma, in Selma's time, you, you didn't have significant leadership within uh, the black community saying, uh, you know, agreeing with uh, the segregation, agreeing with what was going on. So, <laughs> so you yeah, actually literally none of them. Yeah, did. yeah. So you actually. So th- that's where I say, you know, I, I, I take the point. There's a role for civil disobedience, and and what happens is a um, part of the point of civil disobedience is you're prepared to go to jail, and the law, the system has to uh, has to fulfill its side of the bargain. And it tends to win when the entire community is behind it, which quite clearly this is, is not, not the case. This is not the case. So I'm I'm shocked yeah. that it's being allowed to go to get along. So are you shocked? I, I'm I'm not shocked. I'm just disappointed. Well, I thought that maybe it was going to be a one or two day protest. But I really the, the, did. The federal, I really the, the did because government. I mean it's not even within their jurisdiction. But the minister the, of finance has said, although we haven't seen it uh, followed through on, we are a country of the rule of law. And, right. and the law has to be fulfilled. Except that, though, even though national railways are federal jurisdiction, Addiction. it's up to the province yeah. to to police this, allegedly. Well, that's There's what Mark Arnold said. CYA here. Well, yeah. Totally. He's totally... It, and meanwhile, we all suffer because nobody wants to... Yeah. Put the hammer down. Well, then, it's not personal, com- just personal convenience. This is an enormous that, economic that, that, issue. Listen, that corridor is huge. Yeah. I mean, that corridor is one of the main corridors going from, I guess, Quebec to yeah. Windsor. Yeah. And it's it, it's really ridiculous yeah. at this Well, what point. they say is this is about $18 million in economic activity lost every day. And I think that I might just it. be uh, via rail. This yeah. is freight uh, stuff being tied up as well. But again, Mark Arnault, who's a transport minister, uh, told reporters in Calgary, uh, it's illegal because it infringes on the Railway Safety Act. The Railway Safety Act should be paramount in this case, but uh, the Indigenous protesters, they don't care a lick about that because... Effectively, well, I'm not but, convinced Garneau does either. So, in, in a Trudopian fashion, he'll stand up and say, "Yes, we take responsibility for this." Right, and then do nothing. And exactly, whatever the hell that sentence hand means. Hand it over and to then... the provinces to deal with the mess. Right. Okay. Uh, well, and that's my question: whether or not you think the province has not been proactive enough in getting this thing resolved. Everybody's nodding. That's not good on the radio. Oh, that's not good. No, I, I thought that was a, the, 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 the an open-ended throat commercial. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> what I'm led to believe. Mark Arnold suggesting is a national, and this is a na- that that's a federal act. Uh, it's never been the case that railways no. have been the responsibility. The policing no. of railways have been the responsibility. In, in, no. in fact, it's the, up the to the province, though, to make those injunctions effective by taking action, is his actual quote. It's the injunction that would remove the protesters, and that is, he says, provincial jurisdiction. Now, oh, well, 
Well, that's well, what he said. Well, there, there's two aspects. I understand aspects that's, that's what he said, but it's going to be another two weeks before anything is done. Well, first of all, I, I actually struggle to understand why you need an injunction in the first place. To be honest, I mean, <clears throat> blockades, blockade, illegal blockades, illegal blockade. So somehow, for some reason, in modern society, we require. Uh, say, CN Rail in this instance, to go to court to enforce the law, get an injunction. I don't understand that process, but it is. But, but the province has no r- r- role in that other than CN Rail applies to court and the court renders the decision. The government can't step in and cause the courts to A, make a decision and or act more quickly. That's court well, system is completely I mean, it's it's separate. Well, who, who, who is the enforcement arm uh, when it comes to the injunction? Well, it's supposed to be the federal government for federal railways. Well, he says no, because this is something I... Look, I'm not going to quibble because he's a transport minister. It's beyond my pay grade. RCMP or OPP. I mean, the difference is in most of the rest of the country, in much of the rest of the country... Uh, they don't have their own provincial right. uh, police. It's the RCMP and, so this, and yeah. places like BC. Exactly. So, so, so the they're really ju- they're just they're trying to throw it. They're trying to throw it over the fence and make it uh, and make it Premier Ford's problem versus their problem. Well, somebody's got to take action. Obviously, if it's that critical <laughs> to uh, the well-being of the country and the province's economy, as well as passenger traffic uh, with via rail. Because there have been uh, a number of trains that have been taken out of service, as we know, over the last six days. This started on Thursday. Kevin Gadetalis of Freeman Rocco Rossi in the house. Before you got here, uh, I had a conversation with uh, several people on the line. It was just musing aloud about this tragedy that befell a four-year-old girl, 35-year-old biological father, out at Rattlesnake Point on Sunday evening. Allegedly gone for a hike, uh, conditions treacherous at the best of times up there. Nothing's roped off or fenced off, so, you know, uh, you could stand to go over the cliff, as uh, was the case. Now, the homicide investigation is taking place, so I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it just makes me wonder, because uh, what I'm reading reports of this acrimonious split with his ex-wife and uh, accusations, recriminations back and forth. They had been through the court system umpteen times, filing this claim affidavit and so on and so forth. Man, it's just uh, breathtaking how bitterness and bile can overcome things. But to a point where uh, maybe somebody is driven to such distress or maybe they're not emotionally stable, psychologically stable, and this is the outcome. And I'm just wondering, is that... Indicative of some kind of systemic failure, Rocco Rossi, that a little girl tragically has died now. Uh, Now, again, I don't want to put the cart before the horse saying we don't know what it is. It could just have been something rather innocent. But uh, according to the biological mom, the ex-wife, and the stepdad, uh, this father, they think it was deliberate and he had taken the little girl with him. So let's just talk in general terms, though. When it comes to that, that, you know, somebody's driven to the brink of doing something that is unthinkable, is that systemic failure? No, because I, th- I think you can't, uh, you can't catch everything. I mean, we are not God, uh, and, and therefore we're not omniscient, and we're not going to be able to test every case. And this is a horrendous tragedy, regardless of how... Uh, it happened. Two lives are snuffed out. Uh, I have to say, when I listen to uh, the mother and the and the stepdad, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, different people react to tragedy in different ways. So you know, who knows what is going on in their mind? But I have to say that that interview left me incredibly cold. Uh, there just didn't seem to be any warmth, any, any, any emotion, any connection. I was, uh, I, I found it almost, almost sociopathic, 
Um, just that was my my impression out of it. Um, but you know, we'll we'll let the investigation go the way it is. But the notion every time we have a tragedy that somehow there was a failure in the system. Um, yes, we've got to get better. Yes, we've got to do uh, our best. Yes, there are things that can be improved in every system, but tragedy is going to continue to happen, sadly. But with uh, alarming frequency, there are a lot of custodial battles that seem to end badly. And again, I'm speaking in general terms, specifically here to this case, we don't know yet, or nothing's been determined, but, you know, just it's sort of led me to uh, draw that into question, whether there's a systemic thing that can be done to, you know, prevent this kind of thing, uh, some kind of intervention, psychological stress testing, emotional testing, that kind of thing. Kevin Gadet, possible to do or is Rocco right? It's just people fall through the cracks on occasion. Well, I do agree that uh, you can't preclude every calamity of which this is clearly one because we have, uh, you know, the death of a 35-year-old man's bad enough, but the, the, the there's just sad and tragic when a four-year-old girl, a four-year-old child dies, regardless of it being accidental or, or homicide. Um, but from a systemic perspective, <clears throat> and I, look, I don't think anybody knows the facts in this instance. And as Rocco points out, I think it's actually extremely callous and, and, and unfortunate that the, the mother and her family would be maligning uh, publicly, um, you know, questioning the motives of, of the father. Uh, but the system as it works today doesn't work well for men. There is not a default to shared custody, and that makes it difficult. I'm not sure as hell not justifying any, any of these types of situations, but the system is designed to be acrimonious. Uh, parties, mainly women, are coached to use the words of abuse, and I've been through this, and it's brutal where these individuals are coached to create this acrimonious disposition and... I think that is systemically problematic, and I don't see governments who have the political courage to change the initial custody rules, because currently they're set up to be inherently adversarial and not to the benefit of the father. And just to follow up then, uh, do you also sense that the court or the justice system is inequitable? Absolutely, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And maybe it's anecdotal, and, and, and I admit my lack of objectivity on this. Um, I do. Um, but yeah, yeah, it is not equitable. And, and I, again, that takes me to the, the acrimonious comments that these people would make. I mean, it's only, the child's only four. I, mean, I don't know how long the dispute was going on. It couldn't have been going on very long for a child who's only four. It went on for at most four years. And how horrible that at, upon their death, the first thing they do is go public and allege that this man killed his daughter. Yeah. Tragic. Are you saying men need more help in the system? I am one of those people who believe that the system is not designed for the benefit of men and that they are disadvantaged in the system. Yes, I am. Alyssa, you wanted to weigh in? What I found very, very odd in this whole thing was the media scrum that happened as a result. And it only could happen if the parents or the the mother and the stepdad allowed that to happen. So I turn on my TV and I see this woman who is, I, I, I mean, it, she came across as, as genuinely gutted, but her words were very articulate and very, and the words that she used to describe her child were not like she was describing a four-year-old. It was like she was describing the, the hopes and dreams of a, of a 24-year-old. And, and the way she was 
she was there surrounded by pictures and she was trying to be very, very um, intellectual and very, very articulate and then breaking down and then regrouping very, very quickly. Well, in fairness to her, and I don't know, but uh, it's only, uh, but, it's less yeah. than 48 hours removed. I understand. Well, I understand that, first of all, number one, you know, the media really jumped on this and, and you know, left it to our own devices, quite honestly, was as to whether what we felt the outcome or what really went on here. So there's that thing. I mean, you know, as as a parent, and I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong, but, you know, when you hold, when you invite the media in to, to talk about this, um, you do uphold a certain sense of responsibility about what you're going to say and whether you're just talking about your your the tragic loss or you're talking about, you know, how angry you are. So I was very confused by that whole interview. And I think that, you know, the way this is playing out is not normally the way these things play out, uh, just given the way you've seen this in the media before. So I, I'm i interested to see how this continues to roll. All right. Uh, it was something that I just thought we'd get a quick sounding of the water and uh, some poignant insight as far as that's concerned from people who uh, obviously have, uh, you know, Felt the system uh, maybe betrayed them, certainly in Kevin's case. Thanks for sharing that, Kevin. By the way, uh, on another court case, maybe a lighter matter, I don't know if it is, it still uh, has some serious implications. Masayu Jury being sued by this California police officer. You remember the scuffle he got into right after the uh, Raptors won the championship at Oracle Arena in Oakland last June? Well, the cop has filed a civil lawsuit, even though the Oakland Alameda County Sheriff's Department looked into the criminal aspect of it, decided not to lay charges, and so uh, they gone over the videotape and so on and so forth, and said, well, evidently, if they're not going to file charges, they didn't think there was anything to go on. Meanwhile, this cop, this uh, sheriff's deputy, says jury hit him in the face and chest with both fists. He was physically injured. He since suffered, quote, severe emotional and physical distress. Uh, He suffered a concussion and a jaw injury that forced him to take medical leave. So he's not only going after a jury, but he's also going after MLS&E, the NBA, and uh, he also argues that MLS&E and, and the NBA uh, should know or have known that a jury, quote, had a violent predisposition and propensity for physical violence, end quote. Rocco Rossi, I mean, on the face of it, uh, does this story make sense to you? What does it say, like Tidja Society, or does it fall apart on the face of it? Look, when your own brothers in blue have looked deeply into this and decided no charges, um, you know, while I, I while I wasn't there and can't, you know, for certain say, when your own brothers in blue have said there's nothing to base charges on, this just strikes me as a money grab. Sorry. Kev, how about you? Money grab? Oh, heck, obviously we've got a... I'm, I'm, I'm only surprised we haven't seen Why videos of this. Why hasn't he sued his, his fellow officers for, for what being I bought off, obviously, I by mean, MLSC? Honestly, he's, he can't be hurting that much if he comes to the the fact, okay, well, let's, I'm going to sue this guy, then this guy, and this guy. Obviously, he had a lot of time off to think about what else he can do because nobody else I'm is supporting him. I'm waiting for the pictures him. of him in a wheelchair or something next, right? I mean, it, actually, what's interesting about this story, and I saw I thought this from the very beginning, from a high road perspective, I was really pleased to see that Ujiri and the Raptors did not do the, the, the flip side of that coin, which is to accuse the officer of racism. Um, you only stopped me because I was black, et cetera, because that, that could easily have been a narrative. I mean, that dog would hunt, uh, I think. 
but they did not choose to do that. And he made himself available, and he didn't make negative public comment. And he made him. He went down to California and total stand-up you know, guy. Yeah, I, I thought he, he and the rap- best practices. I mean, insofar as communication right. is concerned, I mean, you know, MLSE <clears throat> and, and the Raptors and everybody have really been following best practices and not uh, getting into a, a, a he said sh- he said he said quite frankly on this because that only gives the more fuel to the fire. So I mean, in terms of the way that the organization's been handling it, at full marks. And, By the way. And, and now this cop's just looking for a quick. I mean, he's only suing. Only suing for seventy-five grand. It's clearly just a okay. Pay me off and make me go away type suit. You did say the high road, didn't you? You know uh, something. Uh, I wish you would have said uh, high, street. high street road. High uh. street. Done with Plaza Don Mills. Did I tell you I was there on a weekend? I had one of my favorites, steamed haddock. Really, uh, it's one of those delicacies that you got to try. I mean, I like the thin batter, zero trans fat cooking oil that they use, the vegetable oil, which and they change regularly, a couple times a day, which gives it that golden hue. But in this case, I just went light and easy steamed haddock with the chips, of course, and uh, also followed it up with a hobgoblin. Nice ale from Oxfordshire. In, in the UK. Beer. Yeah, boy, oh boy, was I delighted. And that's because Paul, you know, he always does pairings. They're fully licensed. I got to point that out. Fully licensed establishment, open Tuesdays to Saturdays. And it's one of those delights where, uh, and I took four meat pies home mm. right out of the freezer. I know. Uh, I'm going to go and sock into those uh, some night when I'm looking for comfort food because they bake them from scratch. And again, when it comes to the meat pies, all you need to know is local antibiotic-free beef and chicken in those pies. No fillers, no additives, no preservatives. That's the way they roll. It's all about quality, quality of ingredients. And of course, they do it from scratch and authentic to the max. High Street, Donwood Plaza, Don Mills. To eat in or take out. Did I mention fully licensed? Yes. And free parking? Yeah, a lot of free parking in the Donwood Plaza. You just go along the DVP to Lawrence and go east. East of the uh, DVP on first set of lights, you go north on Underhill. It's right around the bend. Can't miss it. High Street. Lastly, uh, racism rearing its head. Here's the uh, interesting story. The primary is taking place in New Hampshire. And uh, who knows what's going to transpire. But uh, apparently the early write-in in Dixville Notch, which the first to vote after midnight, there's only like five votes. And apparently, uh, as I understood... It's a juggernaut. From Reggie Cicchini, our Washington correspondent who is in Nashua as we speak, uh, he was saying that there were two write-in votes for Mike Bloomberg. And uh, Bloomberg may show up uh, as a force here because the Dems can't get it together. But uh, now it turns out Donald Trump has even lashed out at Bloomberg, in fact, citing some comments he made back in 2015 in which he said the way to bring down murder rates was to, quote, put a lot of cops in minority neighborhoods because that's where all the crime is. Bloomberg said that out loud on the record. And the Republicans have sort of uh, released the tape for media consumption. Is this going to hurt Bloomberg? Stub his toe out of the gate, Rocco? This coming from Trump? Uh, well, it's not coming from stuff. Trump. Yeah. It's, it's Bloomberg <laughs> oh, condemned yeah. by his own words. Right. But, I mean, this was... It's not yeah. necessarily... Trump yeah, yeah, mentioned, yeah, mentioned it, but it's there. Look, my favorite my favorite line thus far in the campaign is a reporter put a mic into uh, Mike Bloomberg's mouth and uh, said, do you really think America's ready for two New York billionaires running for president? And he said, I'm one. Who's the other? Uh, because because <laughs> Trump, he knows Trump ain't. Um, he has dropped $320 million of his own money in TV ads uh, he was too late into the game to be on the ballot in Iowa and New Hampshire. 
But come Super Tuesday, when 34% of all of the delegates are there, he will be a factor. People are looking for someone who, uh, people in the Democratic Party are looking for someone they feel could stand up to Trump because... What about the far left? I mean, here's a New York billionaire. Does that square with the values of Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren? He's also a New York billionaire who's led the charge on on uh, on climate change, who's led the charge on obesity. a whole bunch of uh, obesity, yep. diet things, sugar, yep. tobacco, stop and uh, frisk. He's got he's got a long and and a very uh, successful record in reducing crime in in. Well, he followed up on the, Julianne. New York. I got yeah. it. Okay, Kevin around the horn. Does this guy get you know his toe stubbed right out of the hop because he mentioned uh, stop and frisk was a good thing? I think the question we need to look for is what are the demographics of people who show up to vote in the primary? Um, as you pointed out, John, the question is if the far left show up to vote, that's a challenge for him. So that's the question is, is the Democratic Party, have they moved so far left that they can't accept the Bloomberg or not? I have to tell you, I have been watching this quite quite closely and uh, listening to what's been going on on the ground, and people are really, really divided. They're, they want to vote for who they want to vote for, but then in the back of their minds is, can that person beat Trump? And right now, if they're starting to dig up dirt on Bloomberg, it means that Trump is worried. All right. Let's leave it on that note. Another great day for Talk Radio. Thank you, Kevin Gadet, Alyssa Freeman, and Rocco Rossi. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 